Good morning. You tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, bringing you news from an African perspective. We're currently on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. In the headlines, the runner-up in the DRC presidential election is outraged at the endorsement of Felix Tshisekedi's victory by SADC. Somali police detain a South African man at the airport after a bomb threat and an Al-Qaeda-linked Islamist group in Mali claims responsibility for an attack that killed 10 UN peacekeepers from Chad. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Moussa. The runner-up in the disputed presidential election of the DRC, Marte Fayulu, has expressed outrage at the endorsement of Felix Tshisekedi's victory by regional body SADC. SADC made the announcement following a ruling by the Constitutional Court. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has also congratulated Tshisekedi. Fayulu says he garnered more than 60% of the votes in the recent national election. The Catholic Church is among those who have expressed serious reservations about the process after the elections. Fayulu says that a statement is a disgrace. That static statement is not understandable. How can you confirm somebody who is a loser? No, we totally disagree. I'm the winner. I had 62.8% according to the Catholic Church and nobody can steal my vote. Nobody. Nobody can steal the vote of Congolese. Somali police have arrested a man suspected of carrying explosive material. He was trying to board an aircraft at Mogadishu's international airport to Ethiopia. The suspect, who is said to be a South African national, was arrested as he was passing through security control at the airport on Sunday. According to a news report published by local radio station in Mogadishu, Radio Shabela, the suspect was briefly detained before being led away by security officers to the criminal investigation investigation department headquarters for further investigations. There has been no immediate comment from Somali police authorities over the arrest of the South African. Zimbabwean police have warned they will act against people committing crime in the country while wearing military or police uniforms. This follows widespread looting after protests over a 150% fuel increase in Zimbabwe turned violent last week. The country's defense force and police are working together in trying to normalize the situation. Zimbabwe's police spokesperson Charity Charamba. Armed robbers in Epworth, Harare on 14 January 2019 and these robbers were using police and military regalia to commit armed robberies after hiring vehicles from car rental companies. We are therefore giving an ultimatum to individuals who have retired, those who have deserted, who have absented themselves without official leave in brackets hour from service to immediately hand over uniforms either to the police or the Zimbabwe Defense Forces. 
An al-Qaeda linked Islamist group in Mali has claimed responsibility for an attack that killed 10 United Nations peacekeepers from Chad. The Nusrat al-Islam wal-Muslimin group says Sunday's attack was a response to Chadian, Chadian President Idris Deby's revival of diplomatic relations with Israel. This is according to a statement posted on the telegram. The peacekeepers were killed and at least 25 were wounded while repelling an attack by armed assailants near a village in northern Mali. And finally, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has paid tribute to all those who are playing a critical role in the provision of education in the country. He has officially opened the 2019 Basic Education Sector Summit in Boxburg, east of Johannesburg. Ramaphosa says he's looking forward to a more improved quality of education in South Africa moving forward. It's to more than 400,000 teachers who toil every day, every month, every week to educate our children, the principals and also the parents who support the learners in our schools. And I also want to pay tribute to the heads of education in the 75 districts of our country who also play a critical and vital role in the delivery of education. Recapping the top stories, the runner-up in the DRC presidential election is outrage at the endorsement of Felix Tshisekedi's victory by SADC. Somali police detain a South African man at the airport after a bomb threat and an Al-Qaeda-linked Islamist group in Mali claims responsibility for an attack that killed 10 UN peacekeepers from Chad. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on shortwave into sub-Saharan Africa. And remember, if you're listening to us in DSTV in South Africa and some neighboring countries in the SADC region, remember we are on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet there. If uh, you're listening to us online, you can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dial.
dialogue from monday to thursday we bring you some of the big subject matters on the african continent trying to contextualize where the continent is currently well the today we're looking at a business story broadcasting outside of the sabc studios we're right here at the lilies leaf farm in rivonia south africa i've been here before beautiful museum and a really uh, show casts some of uh, the big history in south africa when it comes to the apartheid history but we're right here at the shared value africa initiative which is being hosted here it aims to bring together businesses to forge partnerships which will drive collective social change and impact in communities it's actually a strategic session which embarks to look ahead at the africa shared value summit which will be hosted in may later this year in nairobi kenya i'm asking the question today on our social media uh, do you think businesses in africa can actually make a social difference in communities and look beyond uh, making a profit what are your thoughts on that go to our social media facebook page and give us your thoughts on that do you think businesses in africa can actually make a social difference in communities or do you think they're more interested in the profit making give us your thoughts on our channel africa facebook page is simply titled that a channel africa well joining me outside here in our studios we've got nicole yembra uh, from nigeria she's a chief financial officer for venture garden group and a managing partner at greenhouse capital uh, the v GG investment arm and also have uh, Sanda Odiambo who's joining us. She's all the way from Kenya. Uh, she spoke very well in the previous Shared Value Summits. I've listened to her thoughts and she is the head of corporate responsibility at Safaricom. And uh, we'll start the conversation with you, Nicole, since I've never really spoken to you before. Thank you for joining us on our outside broadcast. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about Venture Garden Group. Tell us a little bit about Greenhouse Capital, what you guys do there. Yes. So the basic idea of VGG is we're a platform holding company. Um, We build technology based on the premise of data to cash. So all that simply means is if you want to solve problems in aviation or power, et cetera, you need to actually have data that's able to properly quantify what those problems are, and then you come up with solutions for them. So my whole background is around financial technology. So as long as you have, again, ready information, people are willing to pay for it, and that money is what drives you know the economy it builds infrastructure it builds you know sustainable development all of those things and the investment arm is really about saying there's other really brilliant entrepreneurs solving real african problems and besides helping with their strategy how do we give them money to to back those ideas so that way they don't give up on it and they continue to innovate no this shared value phrase is becoming very mainstream. I'm starting to hear it more and more by corporates. It's almost becoming a trend right now, and it's almost kind of blurred, mm-hmm. and you kind of don't understand the difference between shared value and, and social responsibility, and it's becoming more and more conflated over time by corporates. Uh, what are your thoughts about where we are with shared value? Do you think as business we really understand what shared value and the differences are with social responsibility mechanisms that are utilized? by business yeah so Sanda's the, ex- the expert so she mm. may have the proper sure, definition sure, on sure. those two but <laughs> from my private sector perspective sure. I think all business especially in Africa is about shared value right if your business is helping you know build is helping around education you're actually still helping people as well as making money if your business is around power renewable energy you're helping people you're giving them access to new technology you're giving them access to financial services as well as making money 
If your business is around government accountability in terms of transparency, you're helping the government serve its constituents better, but you're also making money. So I think the fact that if you're viewing corporate social responsibility as simply charity, you know, that shift has to happen mm. because every business is good business, unless you're literally like poisoning water like every business is about progressing right and on the continent we don't solve like frivolous needs we're not trying to come up with a new juicer and this amazing thing we're actually solving for people's everyday problems and i think it over time that will just continue to blend together Hmm. Uh, let me come to you sandra what do you think of that because this shared value a term is starting to be almost uh, capitalized upon by people who don't really understand the difference between the term and social responsibility. And it's something that's starting to actually overtake the mission of what some of you are trying to do in the space. Thanks. So, I mean, on the one hand, it's great that people are talking about shared value, but I do agree it's really important to make that clear distinction. Mm -hmm. I think Nicole's really spoken about, you know, what philanthropy is, and I think we're very clear about that. I think the shared value premise is really about how businesses then start generating additional value Mm -hmm. and extending that value all through the business ecosystem. So, you know, in the past, the business of business has always been business. Um, you know, and then when inequality started really coming up, especially on our continent, businesses started doing a lot more, you know, community investment, as we said, but that is not sustainable and that's not business. I think a couple of things have happened over the the last couple of years. First of all, I think all across the continent, we have a very vibrant SME sector. Um, and it's we've sort of gotten to the stage where it's really important for big business to do business with SMEs. Sure. There's lots of innovation, a lot of speed to market, and lots of closeness to customer that happens. So one of the key tenants around shared value, first of all, is how you create different business models. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is for business to start working less with the traditional big boys and more with the more innovative, fast-moving um, SMEs. Mm-hmm. The second is really to really begin to spread that value and it can be economic value and social value across the ecosystem and that's the big thing so the business isn't just this entity that sits in its corporate headquarters and reports great profitability but with no social impact so the you know the whole shared value thing as i said is one about doing inclusive business uh, sharing value across the ecosystem and also getting engaged in social Uh, development projects and this is you know to say that there is business in doing good Um, we're making a very clear distinction business can get involved in addressing energy solutions in addressing health solutions addressing education solutions and actually doing it through a business approach is more sustainable and that's really what what the shared value approach is about Mm. is it a system that actually is one that has you know because people look at it from a, a moral point of view I'm sure you get a lot of moral questions around the idea of shared value because some people go back to the premise the fact that capital will always be capital will always want to be profit making just in how um, businesses are set up it's about profit making itself and actually trying to mingle that with a social form of responsibility as part of the package of your product could compromise your profit-making thought. How do you actually counteract that thought? There's a couple of things. I think first is that, you know, all business has to understand its customer. And sometimes your customer 
is the mother in a rural village trying to find a maternal health solution. Mm. Yeah? The response to that can be a philanthropic one, but it can also be a business mm. solution. And I think what's really critical is to really define who, I- who the customer is and also make sure that the solutions you're providing are affordable. They're not going to be solutions that sort of continue to leave more people behind. And then also to demonstrate real genuine commitment. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's not shared value isn't a title to sort of stick onto your business credentials. Mm. From a leadership level, there has to be an entire shift mm. in the leadership view around business. And it has to be genuinely articulated mm. through the business. Otherwise, you do run the risk, as you're saying, of just being seen to be wanting to make a quick buck off of a impoverished or vulnerable community. But the really good thing about shared values, it, it provides other avenues for business because who doesn't want to do business in a place where you can deliver profit and purpose? Um, typically, business does business with the top 1%. Mm-hmm. There's another 99% of the population that is seeking the same sort of dignity, choice, and opportunity that typically big business solutions provide. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a whole new business uh, opportunity, but I think it has to be articulated well and has to have a lot of leadership um, mm. support as well. Nicole, can you speak to that? Because that's not an easy feat, is it? Especially when you're trying to actually also stick to your ethical um, kind of premise as a business, yeah. but at the same time trying to engage in communities, but you have to do that in a way that doesn't also compromise your own product. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, again, like Sanda said, it's an entire mindset shift, right? If I am saying I want to provide renewable energy solutions for the 60% of the continent that does not have access to power, I cannot go and price it as something that just absolutely does not make sense. That 60% cannot afford Mm -hmm. and then say I'm going to rely on the DFIs to provide me funding. That's not a business model. It's completely charity. So if I'm focusing on that 60% and what did they really need? And I think really big picture. First, I give them power. Mm -hmm. Then I give them access to other banking services. Then I can give them access to TV and entertainment. Then I can give them access to water. Then I can get, if you focus on that long-term view of what problem you're solving, you can, that is the premise, right, of having shared value. So you as a business that says, I want to make money, I want to to have impact, you can if you just focus it on holistically. But if you're showing that that short term of sell it to them, make the most money out of this, whatever else happens, like you're not building sustainable business. And we, you know, in South Africa, there's longstanding companies places like Nigeria where I'm from, we don't have any institutions that have lasted 50 years Mm. because they're not thinking about this long-term component. It's that thing of maximizing the profit, dealing with that 1%. Well, the CEO of that 1% dies off and the company dies, mm-hmm. what happens to your business? Sure. What happens to the rest of the people in the value chain? And that is how we create lasting institutions in Africa when we're focusing on who that mass populace is. And doesn't that actually give you the risk of actually compromising um, the product itself? Because some people think that's where the risk is when mm-hmm. it comes to shared value. Some people would like to believe that if you actually have a, a product that has a social component to it, it actually compromises the product itself. It might not be actually sellable because now you're talking about the fact that you could have to reduce prices for a certain demographic uh, if you want to service them in a, in a particular way. Yeah, so I think if you're not, if you're building spaceships, you're building spaceships, right? <laughs> that is what you are going for. Sure. But if you're building something that is for energy, if you're building something that's for education, if you're building something that, like, that is what your product sure. is, that is just naturally how it has to evolve, right? Not everything is for every 
one. And so I don't think you're compromising your product. You're actually making it better for that target audience. Mm. Your goal is for that product to be in the hands of every single person, right? If that's what your mission is. Mm. So if you look at the example of Apple, which is a company I love, mm. Apple is saying they're not building for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're building for the people that are going to spend $1,200 every yeah, two sure. years on a phone. And that is what their market is. Yeah. And that's what it's going to be yeah. versus those that build different Android phones. They have different levels. They have all of those things. Still great technology. You're still connected to all of your internet services but they build it for different audiences and i think that's what we're saying businesses can focus on but apple has their whole you know here's holistic here's what our target is so to me especially on the continents again solving rural african problems you can't be solving problems for africans where 60 70 90 percent of africans cannot access that product can people actually compete Sandra, on this particular level especially when you look at uh, mega uh, profit-making corporates that are really not actually looking any other way and they say we want to make a profit just like Nicole is highlighting here and then you get an SME with this ambition and this kind of social drive can they compete in that particular arena of business you know I I think they can and if you go back to the sort of academic uh, definition of shared value Mm. that was put forward by the two Harvard professors, mm. what they actually do say is shared value, is a com- it gives you a competitive edge okay. to business. So right from the first premise, because the thing is, at the end of the day, so I work in a telco. Mm. So let's say you are a telco in a country where you have close to everybody connected. Mm. You know, the question is, and then what? So everyone's making calls on your network, and what else? What else do you have to offer? offer? Where else can you drive your business? Mm. In our business, and I think one of the areas where we've been pretty successful at Safaricom, is then looking at value-added services that address the real challenges of Kenyans, and it's Kenyans in agriculture, it's Kenyans in access to healthcare, it's Kenyans in access to water, it's Kenyans in financial inclusion. And yes, to some extent, that has given us a competitive advantage over other operators because we now are able to uh, do fantastic things over mobile where you can insure crops, you can give fertilizer subsidies, you can allow people to save up money in a health wallet to access health care. Yes, so it does give you a competitive edge. Now, where you then ideally should move your business model to further is that, you know, in terms of delivery to the actual customer, uh, you know, community, how do you then integrate more um, SMEs, people perhaps who are more, as I said, innovative or more in touch with community to help drive that? Because at the end of the day, you know, you, it's, it's really about building up a whole ecosystem that can do business. And as I said, anyway, we're a telco. We don't know much about farmers, but if you have a great farming partner, they give you access to a whole new business um, business opportunity. So shared value by its nature actually really embraces this kind of partnership. So we sit in the telco space, but now we work with farming groups, we work with maternal health groups, we work with water organizations, we work with energy organizations, and we're going into new areas of business that we wouldn't have gone into if we had stuck to data, SMS, and and voice calls. Mm. Let's let's wrap up the conversation before I allow the other guests in terms of where would we like this conversation to go. I know that the summit will be taking place in May this year, and we're speaking about various challenges, and I think what uh, Sandy is highlighting here is the fact that Shared value allows diversification for your company, especially when you can actually look at greater needs within the context of your own business. 
where do you think the conversation should go, Nicole, this year around? Because we have been talking about this in the last two or three years or so. Yeah, I think, um, as again, as we look to the continent and what people are solving for and innovating, I think it's about fostering more networks and more partnerships. I think it's about doing this from a more pan-African perspective. So, you know, Safaricom can do great work in East Africa. How do we partner with our telcos in West Africa and make sure that those same types of services are there? Um, we do, you know, good work in aviation or um, power. How do we extend that across the continent, right? So for me, this summit and events like this and having a council from people from all different backgrounds is about taking what we've been innovating on and taking the sectors we're touching on within our own communities and expanding that to really help the continent at large because our issues are not different, right? There are issues with agriculture across Africa. There are issues with healthcare, issues around power. So how do we take just the best solution in all of these parts and then we make it kind of a global and more pan-Africa way of really solving for this? Mm. Sandra, what are your thoughts? I think it, it could actually be a time for that kind of inter-trade emphasis, especially when you look at where the entire continent is going when you speak about the Africa continental free mm -hmm. trade agreements or so, yeah. those could also loosen some of those uh, barriers that we've mm -hmm. seen in the past in terms of partnering within businesses in this shared value kind of platform. I definitely agree. I think, you know, more and more, you know, African countries, I think, are being classed as more middle-income countries. Mm -hmm. it, it impacts a lot of things, the type of development support you get, mm -hmm. the, the pressure on, you know, the need to expand your manufacturing and your industrial base, um, the idea to sort of drive more inclusive and sustainable economic growth. So I think the time is right for our continent. A lot of the agreements you talk about also create a framework for business to engage more with actually public sector, mm -hmm. and public sector projects and priorities. But also, as I said, because Africa is really driven by the SME sector. I would, mm -hmm. I would hate for us to sort of give the impression that it's big business that sure, drives sure. African business. Mm -hmm. It isn't. It's actually the SME sector. And leaving them out of this discussion, I think, is, 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 would be a big... Uh, you know, a big lost opportunity because we're really powered by the SME sector. But, you know, just going back to the shared value thing, and I just want to position it a little bit globally. Sure. If you look at the trends and what's going on in Europe and the U.S., I think a lot of the current social failures that we see and some even political failures yeah. actually due to the fact that one uh, private sector has not really engaged in what is really a, a, a fundamental development discussion for yeah. all of those yeah. nation states and continents and, and countries. And when you see the decline of social fabric as you're seeing across Europe and in the US, it's really because Government does not talk to private sector, does not talk to citizenry. Mm. When you have them working together a lot mm. more, I think you have a more unified platform mm. to drive more social development issues. So well, I think sure. the time is right for our continent sure. to make sure that we're seamlessly working together for development. Fantastic. Thank you guys for giving me your time. Thank you to Senda Ojiyambo, uh, who is the head of corporate responsibility at Safaricom. Thank you as well to Nicole Yembra, uh, also from uh, uh, the chief uh, the chief uh, official financial, um, let me say that again, chief financial officer for Venture Garden Group and a managing partner at Greenhouse Capital. Uh, she's joining us all the way from Nigeria. Thank you ladies for giving us your time. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back with more of uh, the stakeholders here at the planning session of uh, uh, this particular gathering, which is actually setting the pace for the Africa Shared Value Summit later in May this year. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, 
human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance, from an African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here. We are broadcasting outside of the SABC studios today. Uh, thank you for joining us right here at the Shared Value Africa Initiative, which is actually setting the pace as a, a plenary session for the Africa Shared Value Summit, which is going to take place uh, later this year in Nairobi, Kenya, and around May. And uh, we've been speaking about this idea of shared value. Uh, the term is becoming very much conflated these days, uh, uh, social responsibility and shared value sometimes become some things that have been actually mixed up and seems like uh, the discussion of shared value is going to be challenged as well in terms of not conflating what it actually means for African businesses. Well, uh, to take this uh, conversation further, we're joined by Simba um, Huriro, who's joining us. He's the founder and managing director at Oxygen Africa. And also we've got Lucia Bukulumpaki Wama, who is also joining us. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Bakulu Power, a renewable energy company based in Uganda. And uh, yeah, I think uh, these guys are showing that uh, renewable energy is becoming a new thing in the African continent. We'll see how far we can actually take that. Simba, let me start with you. In terms of uh, your businesses, uh, tell us a little bit about why you think right now um, renewable energy is something essential and why do you actually blend it in with this whole shared value um, notion? I'll, I'll take it from, from two perspectives basically. I'll start off from the, the, the common one, the climate change um, perspective. Mm. So if you look at Zimbabwe right now, the rains are coming in late. Right, they're quite erratic. Sure. Farmers can't predict um, the, the cropping season anymore. So now, climate change is not something that we now talk about. It's something that we now actually experiencing. Then mm. we now you, you couple that with renewable energy. It's two. It's another. It's another dynamic to say, look, in order for Africa to grow, right, it needs power, mm. but it has to be power in a way that is quite sustainable. That ensures that we also take a cognizant view of the issues of climate change. Sure. And then of course. 
um, the key essence of renewable energy is long-term predictable income. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an industry that creates local wealth through an entire new, no, through an entirely new um, um, industry that constantly will always have demand. Mm -hmm. So imagine you're coming up with a product that everyone not only can use or should use, but has to use. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it historically, we've got a lot of foreign international players that are active all across all across the continent. And I made a, and I made an earlier comment to say, why can't I have a Bakulu Power that's operational in Uganda, in Zimbabwe, that's financed by my colleague Nicole, with with um, SMEs that have been incubated by my colleague Yusuf. Sure. So as a team, we then grow our continent together and we create a new generation of wealth that is that is intergenerational. Yeah, Lucy. What are your thoughts in terms of this whole renewable? You can pick up your your microphone already. Um, in terms of that particular idea of renewable energy becoming a shared value um, kind of composite. Well, yeah. I mean, I tend to look at energy mm. from a bit of a different point of view. I look at it just from a human point of view. Sure. Um, and electrification—it's the precursor to development. Mm. You know, sometimes I kind of roll my eyes when I hear people talk about you know, all of these things they want to do. And I'm like, you know, if you have no electricity, that's not going to work. Yeah, sure, <laughs> like, sure. You cannot avoid roads, water, electricity. I'm sorry, you just can't. Mm. So I, um, that's always what I talk about. Mm. Is this how we're going to create jobs? How we're going to create industries? I was really fortunate to speak at the World Trade Organization Public Forum mm. on the main stage, like with the Director General himself. Mm. And I'd even kind of confirmed with him, I said, you know, Africa only accounts for 3% of global trade, mm. which I don't think many people know that. Mm. And um, that's largely, if not entirely, because of our weak infrastructure. Mm. So I, when I think about renewable energy, I think about creating jobs. I think about, you know, people having, you know, more time on their hands, mm -hmm. women not having to walk to get fuel wood. Mm -hmm. I look at the environment perspective mm -hmm. and I, my company is based, it's, it's only incorporated in Uganda, so it's a local company mm -hmm. and we actually do the work. Mm -hmm. um, so I, we're boots on the ground, we're meeting with communities, we're hiring the community. So I personally have a lot of knowledge from how you actually do the work. And, I mean, from an environmental perspective, our environmental um, application for our environmental permit was over a 1,000 pages. Wow. So there's a lot of things it's we can talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah, trust me. It was like... And a lot of writing. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of things I can, like, information I'm happy to share sure. just on, like, from a ground level. Now, let's look at what Simba was highlighting earlier on. And we spoke briefly about this need in terms of the fact that on the African continent, uh, there's a lot of SMEs that are really trying to pioneer entrepreneurship and also with gearing themselves in social needs sure. in, in that regard. But what we're having uh, kind of bottlenecks in is what Simba was highlighting in creating enough networks where enough businesses can collaborate intra the continent um, to support kind of this kind of social kind of move that we're seeing by a lot of entrepreneurs on the African continent. How do you think that can be improved? Um, well, I would, I would define the bottleneck differently. Sure. Um, I think that a huge bottleneck is finance. Okay. It is having um, formal businesses. We have a lot of informal businesses, and I think that is a huge issue. We need to make we need to formalize them. We need um, to 
see, f- when you talk about finance, people are very well versed in like a Kiva loan, twenty dollars. Let's mom can make mats, mm. or uh, you know, Grand Renaissance Dam. Mm. There's the whole middle that is very, very, very sure. murky. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably where, I mean, I don't know, maybe somebody's doing billion-dollar projects out the gate. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to make a guess that somebody's probably in the same lane as me, where you're, we're in like that gray area, which is quite hard to raise finance in because, you know, um, so many issues. Even if you look at our own development bank, they're, who's really funding them? You know, we need people like Nicole, people who really are funding businesses here so we can fund ourselves. Mm. Because when you're being funded by other parts of the world, they're like, oh, Africa's pretty risky, so mm. I need this huge return. Mm. So then they only look at the billion-dollar projects. Mm. So that's what I think is an issue. As far as collaboration, I mean, I'm really lucky. Like, even when I look at that, um, the list of members, like, the, the CEO of NL Group, Francisco, is a wonderful guy. I happen to know him. So I'm really fortunate that I have a local company, but I'm able to go and enter these really, really powerful firms with heads of state, with all of the CEOs. Like, kind of, like, that, there's normally a disconnect there with the local companies. So I'm kind of like, I got to go in there and, you know, show them, like, we have everything it takes. We actually know arguably more than you do mm. about everything. You know, because that brings me to the question, Simba, what, you know, is being highlighted here by Lucia, is the fact that doesn't the whole shared value ambition by African entrepreneurs compromise your profit-making ambition? <laughs> I, I think what I've, re- what I've begun to realize is that we, we're coming from a new generation of entrepreneurs that are not solely driven by, by profit, but profit with purpose. You know, you want to be remembered. If you, you want to be a household name, right? You want to be the good guy, the Richard Branson, the Mark Zuckerberg, etc., etc. So it's not only just profit, but profit with purpose. And secondly, you got to, if you're a businessman, you've got to ensure that you have a market that is healthy enough to buy your product. Mm. So if you're not taking care of the market that you operate in, can they buy your product? And it's mm. typical. I mean, I'm sort of in the same lane as, 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 as Lucia. Mm. I'm trying to build a microgrid in rural areas. Mm. But I'm faced with a cognizant fact that there's no rural economy to buy my electricity. Sure. That's the main impediment. And how do you counter that challenge? Because that's where the reality is, is heading off. Because that's what I was asking um, Sander and Nicole before you guys came on. The fact that can African businesses afford the shared value ambition because of that particular challenge that you're highlighting? Are you not over ambitious? Maybe you could do this 10 years later after you've started your pro- profit-making notion. I'm just giving you an example. See, what you've got to realize is that shared value is not you spending money, mm. right? It's not, it's actually, a, a, there's, a, there's a fundamental difference from CSR. Mm. It's about the policies and procedures that you establish in your business to solve an economic problem. Sure. Right? It's about an inclusive business model. So a typical thing could be a large mining company that will say we're going to do most of our sourcing locally and support local SMEs. And if you look at it in like, I come from a town called Marondera. Mm-hmm. It's a typical example of shared value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the whole ecosystem was around agriculture. Mm-hmm. Right? The local business within the town supplied the, the farmers within the, within, within, uh, within the various tracts of land. Mm-hmm. At the end of the month, when the, farmers, when the farmers pay their staff workers, they bust them into town by trucks. Mm-hmm. And then that money stays in a circle. Mm-hmm. So it's us basically saying, look, it's not really a tried and tested. It's, it's not really a new mm-hmm. type of, um, of way of doing business. It's tried and tested. But we've just branded it differently. 
and we've just been brought it out to the fore to say, look, we're not saying invest in new mm. in new infrastructure, etc. We're just saying change the way mm. your company thinks. Be cognizant of the of the base of the of the environment that you're operating in, and base and basically say that look, if companies are making money, right, then my business is going to be healthy. So how do you counter that? challenge that you were talking about earlier on that you're working in a rural environment which has a very limited economy yes what you do is for any business to go into a rural economy it needs electricity that's right so it becomes down it boils down to a factor for me talking to similar businesses that want to go into similar locations and say look guys how do we come up with that with a set of services or a set of products that is specific and that's going to empower this rural community Right, you talk to guys that are that are involved in food manufacturing. You talk to guys that are involved in agriculture, and say, look, guys, you want throughput of raw materials to manufacture juice, for example, if it's a Schweppes or a Coca-Cola. You want throughput to manufacture um, oil, if it's a if it's a United Refineries. Sure. But in order for that to happen, I have to provide them with electricity. So why don't you pay for the electricity for these farmers so that they produce more soya beans so that your company makes a profit? So it's about a collective effort, not just Simba or, or Bakulipa or Oxygen by itself, but it's a collective effort of say, look, let's establish an ecosystem of businesses that have got the same mindset, move into these particular areas, right, and create wealth. Because once you create wealth, you create new markets. So it makes, it makes, it makes business sense. We can't be fighting for the same... Sure. For the same for the same morsels of markets in, in, in urban you areas. Said, do you agree that that this that this could be <laughs> an opportunity? Can I please answer the question you just asked? I'm like nearly jumped on you. I'm like, kick me. <laughs> no, I think that um I mean I don't like I'm not trying to like fight with Simba who's my new BFF and we had a tiff we had a little tiff yesterday, so let's not go back there. Um but I can just say like with authority that so we we're, we're working in Buvuma district, which in Uganda is the only district with no electricity, mm. has the highest incidence of AIDS, lots of prostitution. There's no bank. Like I mean, you, there, if there's an issue, it's there. Mm. But the thing is, during our socioeconomic study, one thing I might like maybe meeting some kind of a cool back and forth. So for us, when I'm talking about our project, the last mile, there is no electricity. So we have to go in there and knock. We knocked on every single door. And it's very different for your modeling because you can't base it on anything. Mm. So in doing that, it, we really were able to harvest really, really, really rich information, data, whatever. And the thing is, they're not actually poor. And I'm like, when you're saying this, I'm like, Simba, I want to jump on your head. They're not poor. These fishermen actually make more money. Like, I know somebody who works for the prime minister, and the fishermen make more money. It's just that there's no banks. There's no, like, education on... Well, there isn't even a bank to save your money. There isn't any of that kind of training happening. So during high season, I mean, you can't, you can't rent a hotel. I mean, yeah, yeah. hotel. You can't rent a room there because it's all prostitutes, which is why we have so much AIDS there. And for the prostitutes, no, these fishermen have money. The fishermen are like, oh, I'm living for today, you know, yeah. YOLO. Yeah. So, you know, these are the kind of problems. And I think even... You don't have to look at a place as kind of d dramatic as Bovuma. Mm. I wish I had my stats on me because mm. I can't wait to have an assistant mm. who can like rattle <laughs> off me. But we already know that the poorest people in the world pay the most for ele for mm. electricity. Well, for energy. I don't like, um, So they have the money. Mm. You know, I just think that that's something and that's that idea is what really blocks people from wanting to invest. You know? Okay. 
Okay, let, let, let me wrap up this conversation. We only have, let me see, three minutes left and try to sum it up in terms of SMEs and how they should start reimagining their position, especially those who tailor social um, ambitions in their packages and their products. I was asking the ladies earlier on where their conversation should be going when it comes to shared value. And everyone was talking about uh, kind of connections from a, a, a continental level, having a, more of a bigger network on the continent. Where do you think the shared value conversation should go, Simba? Okay, let me, let me break it down into something quite simple since we've only got three minutes, right? Yeah. Let's, let's take it to politics, right? You've got good, gov- you got good governments, you've got bad governments, right? Why are bad governments always in place, right? Because there's a network of people that are eating, right? That are sharing in that world. Mm-hmm. So they protect their own no matter what happens. Mm. So imagine if you're a big company, right, and you've got a network of SMEs mm. that depend upon you for their livelihoods. They will protect your business interests. Mm. Look at it from that perspective. Sure. So it might, you, you, we can table the whole thing, it's a good story, etc., mm. etc. but just think of it from an interest of who's going to protect my interests. It's better if there are people that know that as long as you're there, we are okay. Mm. Yeah. Your final sentiments, Lucia, where do you think the conversation should be going, especially for SMEs like you guys mm. who still need the kind of support because you do have a big kind of ambition of that you have as in terms of your vision? Well, for me, I'll, I'll give you two different positions on it. From like a peer-to-peer kind of SME, I think that we need to have conversations with people in different industries. I think that's where the shared value can come from. Like for my own projects, we have um, ancillary operations in water and in sanitation, and those actually help buffer the... um, like the possible low penetration of electri- of electrification. Sure. So it's you're solving many problems and these problems are very interconnected. Mm. We should not be speaking about electricity without water, without mm. forestry, without waste management. Mm. They're inextricably connected. So I think about among us it's really cool to have someone who works in, you know, just pure finance or someone who works in education. They're all tied. And I think on another level, I mean for myself I'm really like when I get court with with heads of state, which I do, mm. I really talk to them about things like wage subsidies. Mm. You know, where you where a country can identify a, a, a key industry, mm. and they can, I mean, have their own kind of due diligence where they, you know, they suss out the SMEs that are appropriate, and then you subsidize part of the salaries to help us grow for, faster. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, guys. I know it's a big feat for you guys, and uh, hopefully we'll meet at the Africa Shared uh, Value uh, later in the year. And just to catch up on where you guys are at uh, in the middle of the year. Thank you to uh, Lucia Bakulumbaki uh, Wamala. is the founder of the C and the CEO rather of Bakulu Power, a renewable energy company based in Uganda. Simba Muriro joins us from Zimbabwe. He's the founder of the and managing director of Oxygen Africa. Africa is Zimbabwean Renewable Energy Development Company. Well, thank you both for giving us your time. It's been fantastic speaking to you guys. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Well, hey, this is how we wrap up the show today. Remember, we were right here at the Shared Value Africa Initiative. Uh, it was held here at the Lilisley Farm in Rivonia, uh, and it's been a very interesting conversation. Hopefully, later in the year, we'll be in Nairobi, Kenya, if everything goes well, and we'll be bringing you the Africa Shared Value Summit from there. But that's it from me, Benjamin Mushatama. We'll be back with you in the studios at the SABC in Auckland Park, Johannesburg. But from this side and the rest of the fantastic team, uh, God bless.